Have you heard the tale that every seven years, all of the cells in your body are replaced completely by new ones? You know, the old ones die, new ones replace the old ones. I've heard that tale, and I got to thinking, it's got to be more complicated than that. And it is, of course. I Googled it. Uh, For instance, uh, here's what I found out. Red blood cells live for about four months. White blood cells live, on average, more than a year. Skin cells live two to three weeks. Colon cells die off after about four days. Sperm cells, lifespan of about three days. Brain cells typically last an entire lifetime. (laughs) Sometimes you've heard it's 10 years, seven years, but whatever. We're not the same person physically as we were a decade ago. Certainly not the same person as two decades ago or three or four. Uh, And and mentally and emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, we, we change as well. Uh, My political views uh, have evolved over time. My musical tastes have evolved. My outlook on life has shifted a bit. I'm hoping, you know, I'm wiser now than I was in my 20s or 30s. My personal lifestyle, the things I do every day change. My kids are older and on their own, which changes someone. And of course, they're going through changes as well. My time is spent differently than when I had kids in the house. Some things I do more of now than I did a decade ago. A couple things, for example, skiing and bicycling. A decade ago, I had a a used bike that I rode maybe a couple times during the summer. 20 years ago, I didn't have a season pass for skiing. I've had one now for at least 10 or 12 years because I like skiing. And I bought a bicycle two and a half years ago. And I I, every summer and spring and fall, probably not through the winter, (laughs) I I bicycle a lot, 10 miles a day. Some things I do a lot less of. I'm a musician. I was trained as a drummer. Uh, from middle school on and picked up a guitar along the way. And I think it's been a couple of years since I've been in a really good jam session. Been decades since I've played in a band. Used to play in a band a lot in my 20s and 30s. Did a lot of gigs. Uh, although now I pick up my guitar often and I sit down and play it and also go downstairs in my drum set, which is in really nice shape, a good set. I, I play that occasionally too. So I'm just curious, how different are you now from the person you were 10 years ago? Hey, it's Tim Patterson. This is Trade Show Guy, Monday Morning Coffee. Uh, I'm glad you could join me. This week, I got a a fun chat to share with you. I sat down with Lindsay Anvik of CNList.com to talk about how trade show and conference planners should make sure they've got speakers that are really bringing their A game and how exhibitors can use speaking opportunities to enhance their visibility at a show and more. It's a fun chat. Uh, Here's how it went. I'd like to welcome uh, business coach and international speaker, Lindsay Anvik, to Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee. Lindsay, I appreciate you spending some time with me. Thank you for, for joining me. Thank you for having me. And so we connected through the Shank Minds group here in the last couple of years, and I'm glad you reached out and you want to talk about some interesting things. I thought that was a good uh, idea that we can talk about that has to do with trade shows and events and conferences. You know, that's mostly what I, I do and it's what the podcast is about, but um, you know, I, I go afield now and then, but uh, let's start with, with who you are and what, what your, your basic day looks like these days. Well, it's uh, a mix between sort of pitching myself to meeting planners and conference organizers and, you know, working on talks um, for whatever may be coming up for trade shows and conferences. So it's exciting because I'm always learning new things. I'm always trying to come up with new content. Um, and I also spend a good deal of time talking to potential audience members to try to get the best content from them. So that's sort of how my day is broken up. Pitching, working on talks, and then talking to the audience members. Well, let's talk about some of the, the when you do talks, uh, just give me an idea of uh, how often you go out and do that and what your audience is looking for. Sure. I, I say I travel maybe two or three times a month. 
Um, and um, I talk about leadership, productivity, business development. Um, I've done some on social media and marketing. So it sort of runs the gamut um, and across a lot of different fields. Um, but I find that the talking points are very similar, you know, uh, even if it's, you know, sort of healthcare versus, um, you know, consumer product goods, you know, a lot of the sort of ideas are the same and um, can be sort of tailored to whatever audience I may be in front of. And I think one of the uh, notes that we, we traded back and forth via email is that you talk about um, uh, working with speakers and and not giving can talks. And, and I think I mentioned at some point that, you know, several years ago, going back eight or 10 uh, for a short time uh, with a partner of mine, we actually trained uh, people to do public speaking. So I've, I've done my fair share of it. I don't do much of it these days. I've got a lot of other things to do. Not that I wouldn't if the opportunity came up, but let's talk about Public speaking, you say can talks should be a thing of the past. What do you consider a can talk and what would be the alternative, I guess? Well, you know, I think in you know, someone sharing a story or if they're on a book tour, that's a little bit different because obviously they're trying to sort of drive home, you know, those kinds of things or tell that story. So that's a little bit different. But I find that audience members um, have heard the same talk if they go to, if they're in the same industry and they go to two or three different conferences, they'll have heard the same speaker literally word for word give the same talk. Um, and I just think that's such a, um, a miss on the speakers, you know, sort of part to not try to tailor it a little bit more to the audience, um, to try to switch it up and take, you know, feedback from the previous conference to try to adjust their content to be even more relevant for uh, the audience. Um, so it's important to me to always have new things, um, always be adjusting um, and not to sort of be put on autopilot because then what, why do I need to be there? You know, I may as well just press play and have a video and have them listen to me. I'd rather um, have it be a lot more interactive and um, valuable for them. And I think one of the challenges for a lot of speakers is that they don't do it very often. Um, some do, some don't. But I think if they don't, then they're going to be as prepared as they possibly can. And that that might be where some of that, that well, quote unquote, canned comes in because they want to make sure they're going to nail it. They're going to rehearse a lot. Whereas someone who does it a lot uh, will, will be more prepared uh, in the sense that they're able to, to shift and, and things on, do things on the fly and ad lib and that sort of thing just because they're more comfortable up there. I think that's probably one of the main differences. It reminds me of the old uh, Mark Twain. Uh, someone asked Mark Twain, you know, to give a talk. And he said, well, how long do you want it? And he says, I don't care. And he says, well, no, if you need me to talk for an hour, I can start right now. If you need a 10 minute talk, I can give me like two weeks to prepare. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's a lot to go into preparation. Uh, you know, so obviously you want to give good information, but I think that also where does that speaker come from? Um, where does the, um, I think sort of just constantly being on top of whatever um, new tools that they have, new news that's coming out, you know, things that may be relevant topically is important to sort of work in there. Um, you know, I've heard audience members, you know, complain about they're just being old data, old facts, you know, they're giving talks about social media from three or four years ago. And so much has changed in terms of the landscape. It changes every day. Um, and so you want to make sure, I think when you're presenting to make it as valuable for them as possible to have most updated um, content, um, studies, you know, things that are really um, relevant to them so that they don't have a mishap, you know. Agreed. I think that the information, especially in that uh, the tech world, 
uh, the social media world changes extremely quickly. New data comes in, things like that change. What do you think about um, if someone is not comfortable speaking, uh, starting with being a panelist? Is, I mean, that's a more relaxed approach. Uh, when they are called on, they get a chance to kind of uh, work their way through a topic, and that's a much more relaxed setting. What do you think about that for getting exposure and, and getting practice? I mean, I think that's a great idea. And, you know, so many times, especially if uh, the meeting or organizer or the panelist organizer is, um, a, you, know, pre- you know, really ahead of the game, they have all the questions prepared ahead of time. And that way you can figure out some talking points and think about some examples so you don't feel so on the spot. Um, so it is a great segue um, to something that's longer, you know, or on your own. You uh, mentioned in one of your emails that uh, you thought speakers are underutilized for content creation. Uh, what, we th- what, what, what do you mean by that? Um, I feel like the um, trade show managers are, they're so busy that I feel like no one has any idea the amount of work that goes into organizing or executing a trade show. It is an unbelievable amount of work and education is just such a small piece. Um, but because of that, I feel like the, um, uh, they aren't speakers aren't tapped into enough either before, during, or after the trade show to add value to, uh, you know, potential conference attendees um, or conference attendees, so that um, they either get excited about what kind of education may be coming, or that the trade show becomes something more than just an event. You know, they become more of a educator and a thought leader, and so. I am constantly trying to get trade show organizers and meeting planners to um, use me for email marketing, for blog posts, for articles, for, you know, sort of videos, and not just about what, what I'm talking about at the show, which we always do promo things like that, but just tips for them, you know, add value ads for conference attendees so that, um, you know, it's, it's more valuable for them and they feel, um, even more value out of the organization or a conference that they may be going to. I don't see a lot of crossover between these two groups, the exhibitors that are there to show off their wares and products and services and the audiences there. And when you have a, uh, all the, the conferences or the, the breakout sessions and all that, almost I would presume it makes sense that all that would is aimed right at the attendees and not the exhibitors. And yet some of the exhibitors want to be uh, reaching those attendees through that speaker uh, outlet or that, that, that platform. Uh, do you work with exhibitors and, and managers and things like that, that, that have a chance to get in front of that, that audience? How does that play into what you do? I'm just curious. Um, yes, I, I definitely try to encourage um, those clients whenever they can to think of something creative um, that is not just pushing their product, but is them as a thought leader in their industry um, and is giving something beyond just buy my product or service um, that's giving something um not just me, 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 but about what can I do for you? This is why you should, you know, listen to me because I'm an innovator or because this is where I see the industry growing or this is how I've pivoted my business and how you can pivot yours. Um, so I would definitely encourage exhibitors um, when they have a great story or um, have done something remarkable to reach out to conference organizers to be a speaker since they'll be there anyways. Um, and the other thing is I wish that conference and meeting planners would um, do more education for exhibitors. So I just before this interview um, was giving a webinar for exhibitors, which is their first that they'd ever done for exhibitors because when exhibitors are there, they're busy selling, you know, they're there to make deals. They don't have time to do education. And like you said, the education is focused on the audience um, and the attendees. Um, And so I think there's a lot of value to helping those exhibitors 
merchandise their booth better, you know, have the right marketing materials, be prepared before they get there so they can maximize social media and sort of marketing efforts so that they're prepared um, so that they have some things to think about to have the best show possible, which I think would only enhance their experience. And then of course, enhance the attendees experience. In the past, I've, I've actually spoken at a couple of fairly large uh, trade shows about exhibiting. Um, I think the challenge with that, though, oddly enough, is that doing that at the show is probably not the right place. These were not well attended. They were, you know, okay attended, but not great attended. And because the exhibitors are busy, they're out doing the show and talking to them about, about exhibiting and being better at it at the show is probably not the place to do that. Although, and I found that out kind of the hard way, I guess, trying, trying to be the, the guy that would teach that. But I think when you talk about doing a webinar for exhibitors prior to the show to look at it, whether it's a month or three months down the line that they're kind of examining from that angle, that, that actually sounds like a, a, maybe a better approach to reach exhibitors versus reaching the attendees. The attendees are all going to go on together and they're going to be there at the show. The exhibitors have a different job at the show. Right. Yeah. I mean, I see so much value, you know, with your sort of wealth of knowledge about sort of the soup to nuts trade show industry, you know, I think there's so much that you could, you know, um, help exhibitors with. And I just, I wish there was more of a coming together of meeting planners and trade show organizers um, before the show to sort of help, you know, exhibitors with that. But I understand um, they're busy doing a million other things. They're trying to get booth space filled. They're trying to, you know, make sure contracts are signed. You know, there's a lot going on. Um, but I think that those types of small value ads, you know, enhance the exhibitor wanting to come and attend. Um, and like I said, it also um, helps the attendees experience when they're there because the exhibitor is more prepared. They have a better looking booth. Before we wrap this up, I'm curious what you would give, uh, what advice you would give to show organizers that are trying to bring in some good speakers. Where do they look in that industry, regardless of the industry? What kind of uh, what kind of you know rocks can they uncover to get speakers that may, they may not have found before, or do they go for the top uh, most recognized? I'm just curious how you would advise them to approach getting good speakers. You know, I think referrals are, you know, one of the best ways. So looking to see, you know, what other um, conference organizers have had good experiences with them, talking to audience members and having them sort of do a survey where they can fill in someone that they've seen that they may have seen at another trade show or conference is another great way. Um, and then being open to someone like an exhibitor or, you know, someone um, who may not necessarily um, be a $10,000 or $20,000 keynote speaker, but someone else who has a lot of sort of value to add and um, can enhance the, you know, sort of enrichness of the um, audience experience is important to sort of be open to, um, to other options aside from that really sort of expensive keynote speaker. Because I think if you could divide that up by three or four, you could actually get more education um, and possibly um, a more sort of, um, enriched um, education um, platform. You know, I just was thinking uh, through this, uh, you know, from, from someone who's outside, I don't work with organizers as much as exhibitors. And so I'm not sure if the organizers, how they find those people and based on the, the, the answer you just gave, I wonder if a lot of these larger shows, even the larger shows are, are inundated looking with people looking for uh, opportunities to speak or if they're actually scrounging for somebody. I mean, uh, I've applied to a couple of shows and, and, you know, I've been turned down because I was basically too late. I, I just didn't get in the game quick enough, but I've been accepted at a couple as well. And it makes me wonder, uh, because a lot of people could speak that aren't even considering speaking. Right, so, right. so are they, uh, do you get the sense that a lot of these organizers have way too many to choose from or, or they're really scrambling to get someone good? I'm just curious. 
I think that a lot of them are always looking, you know, because they don't want to have the same people every year. And so I think as soon as the trade show ends, that it, it restarts all again. You know, um, I remember um, one of the organizers of the Macy's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade, they said, well, when do you start working on the parade? And they said, the day after Thanksgiving. The day after, right. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like any year-round event that has kind of a season, like it's a basketball team or something. When do you start? Well, we take a day off and then we start again, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. So I think reaching out to them as early as possible is the best sort of route. And they may say, listen, we don't take speaker, you know, or thinking about it for until March. But then you know in March you can reach out again and, you know, right. make a connection. Um, and I think a lot of them are sort of starving for new ideas, you know, whether it's exhibitors or thought leaders or someone bringing something interesting to the table. Um, as long as you're sort of helping them with ideas, I think they're welcome to and open to someone new and something new because they want the conference or trade show to be as exciting as possible. Yeah. Uh, Lindsay, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, where can people find you online? What's the best place to track you down? You can find me at my website, www.cendless, S-E-E. E-N-D-L-E-S-S dot com. So as in see your endless potential. Yes. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y at cendless.com. Cool. Lindsay, thanks again. Appreciate your time. Thank you. And thanks again to Lindsay Anvik of cendless.com for joining me this week on Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee. I truly appreciate it. A trade Show Tip of the Week uh, goes to you if you're ever called upon to speak, whether it's at a trade show, an event, a conference. If you're not a you know professional speaker or someone who's done a lot of it, uh, it can be daunting, believe me. And it took me a long time to learn. Even though I spent decades as a radio guy, it took me a long time to figure out how to actually speak in public. It's an entirely different uh, skill, and it is a skill you can learn. So some tips on if you're going to be speaking at like an event or conference, trade show. Number one, know your material inside and out. You've been hired as an expert, so that's probably not that big of a deal, but organize it, put it together. If you need to write and rehearse your presentation, so be it. I think that's a good thing. But don't memorize it word for word because danger lies in that approach. Let's say you're in the middle of your presentation. You've got word. You know exactly what's coming out. And then something distracts you and you, you forget where you are. Then where do you pick it up? Better to have memorized a handful of bullet points and know that each bullet point's got a story or two and a couple of anecdotes maybe to go along with that along with the information you're going to pass along. So. That's a better approach. Number two, don't abuse PowerPoint. It's so easy to jam too much information on each slide on your deck. Uh, better to have more slides if you're going to use PowerPoint and put only one topic, one image on a slide. The best slides, to my mind, are ones that have a good image that uh, really illustrates or creates an emotion based on what you're going to talk about and maybe a word or two, sometimes even no uh, words. Uh, sometimes no PowerPoint at all. Just get up and speak from the heart with the passion that you feel about the subject. And number three, look at people in the eye. Don't avoid looking at them. If you're not used to standing in front of 100 or 200 or whatever number of people, uh, the trick is to look at somebody over here for a couple of seconds, look at somebody over here for a couple of seconds, and just kind of keep moving around. Maybe if you're more comfortable at starting, you can look above the audience by a foot or two, but just keep in contact with them in some fashion. So that's my three tips for public speaking. Uh, this week's one good thing is something I've been doing for about 11 and a half years, and that's getting up every morning and doing about 10 to 12 minutes of yoga, so my daily yoga. If I go back to my 20s, I uh, had a roommate. We did a lot of yoga, and we got into a martial arts class for a number of years together, a lot of fun. But you kind of get away from that as time changes. You know, like I said at the beginning, we 
we change, our, our lives evolve. Uh, but probably 15, 18 years ago, I decided I wanted to do some more yoga. And so I would, instead of going to class, I would just get DVDs at the library. And I would watch a DVD and, and do yoga for an hour. And then I thought, you know what? I only do that about once or twice a month, if that. So let me try something different. I really wanted to kind of get it back to it. So every day I thought, I'm just going to get up and do a very short routine, 10, 11, 12 minutes. Uh, it has evolved over time. It I throw something in new, something out, you know, something old goes out. But it's essentially the same thing I've done, a little stretching, a little little breathing, little, you know, it's, it's just, it's just what I do. And I enjoy it. it. Starts the day, right? A lot of people do other things, meditation, maybe take a walk, whatever it is. Uh, it, it, if you can find something that starts your day the way that you like it to, that you have control over it, then you can kind of take everything else in stride. And that is my one good thing. All right. That wraps up this week's edition of Trade Show Guy, Monday Morning Coffee. My name is Tim Patterson. I thank you for joining me.